and actually funny enough I do I've got a photo even we've, we've got a photo of us sat outside a little jeet kind of hut thing drinking uh, Bombay Sapphire and tonics uh, which is quite funny that mm-hmm. you know what should hand up <laughs> in many many years later um, but actually I think I've always always poured Bombay Sapphire in all the bars I've ever worked in just you know we always we, we, we just had an, uh, a link with it really Welcome to the Lush Life Podcast. I'm your drinking companion, Susan Schwartz, and I bring you the how-to guide for living life one cocktail at a time. Thanks to my mother's love of martinis, the first words I spoke were shaken, not stirred, and I've been obsessed by cocktails ever since. Together, we'll learn from bartenders, brand ambassadors, distillers, and others why certain drinks are popular in certain cultures, how to make the perfect old-fashioned, when to shake and when to stir, and so much more. Hear that sound? It's time to cozy up to the bar and let the fun begin. Sam Carter, our guest today, almost left the business to flip houses. How sad that would have been for all of us. As Senior Ambassador for the Bombay Sapphire Distillery at Laverstoke Mill, Sam has created some of their most iconic cocktails. Today he reveals the circuitous route it took him to get to Laverstoke. Your first job was in Rutland, right? Yeah, well, Is that your first? not quite actually. Oh. It goes a little bit before that. So yeah. I, I actually went to a, a hotel management school, you know, catering school in Stamford in Lincolnshire as a two-year BTEC course. And uh, I just really loved it. You know, when I left school, it was kind of like I didn't know really what I wanted to do. And you go to the college open days and I had to look around and I looked at the sports courses and the marketing and the bits and the bobs. And then uh, I kind of moved around and I... Uh, I thought, you know what, actually I went into the, the restaurant area and the, and the catering department. I thought, that's what I want to do. I want to get into catering, eventually become maybe a, a restaurant manager, hotel manager. And then if it doesn't quite work out, you know, go off and do something else. If that doesn't work out, it's something you can always fall back on. You can always be a, a waiter or a bartender anywhere in the world. Right? It's a skill that you've got. And so I did that for a couple of years and they kind of said that we should go off and get a part-time job. So were you studying cooking? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. And front of house, it was both. Mm-hmm. So I kind of trying to be a chef, so that's where my love for flavours comes from. And front of house. And I got a job in a little uh, local Italian restaurant. In and where, where's local? So Stamford is in Lincolnshire. Okay. It's like um, the oldest town in England. It's got like 120 pubs, uh, cobbled streets, five churches. Very idyllic. It's where they filmed Middlemarch. Beautiful, beautiful place. And um, so I got this job, part-time job, and um, worked there, which was, which was fabulous. Uh, really enjoyed it. There was no pizzas. It was like proper Italian food with a proper swearing Italian chef, <laughs> who's a who's a legend. And um, at the end of that, uh, at Wait, the end what of, were you doing there? Ah, uh, as, as a waiter and a waiter. bartender. Okay, but it wasn't cocktails by then. It was just mixed drinks, beers, non-alcoholic drinks, and and uh, wine, a lot of wine. Of and were you drinking then? Like, did you have a favorite drink then? Uh, this sounds really weird, but um, the the most memorable drink, and this probably isn't 
great. It's not a great reflection of my career of drinking, but it was a Bitburger Drive, <laughs> which is a non-alcoholic beer. <laughs> of course, you know when you when you when you're driving, you can't uh, drink. So, but it was a really delicious non-alcoholic. I don't even know if they still sell it anymore, but it was a really delicious uh, non-alcoholic beer. Uh, we'd occasionally have one of those. But I have a big passion for wine, so a lot of white wine, red wine. And uh, at the end of the course, I got like a distinction in hotel catering management. And I was still working at this Italian restaurant part-time and, and they offered me the job of like an assistant restaurant manager. Um, and we opened up a little cafe downstairs, you know, selling pastries and espressos, that kind of thing to Stanford's elite. And uh, I did that for about a year and a half. And then um, one day I remember this chap walks in uh, and uh, Sean Hope. And he was a chef at the local Mission Star Hotel restaurant, uh, Hamilton Hall in Rutland. Mm -hmm. And I remembered his face because he came to a talk at the college when I was at college. And uh, we got chatting and um, I kind of, I suppose I was getting itchy feet, wanted to to further my career, uh, get out of the small little town. And so uh, then, um, yeah, I went and had an interview at the hotel and moved there and had a thin living accommodation. Took a huge pay cut uh, to go there because been paid fairly okay and because it was live-in and because it's uh you know yeah that kind of environment of hotel tends to be maybe a little bit less money when you're out in the country but i thought it'll help further come my career name, right yeah, yeah exactly so so i went there as a waiter became um, a bartender became a cheese sommelier helped in the, being a wine sommelier even helped park cars you know so you were doing a, a little bit of everything you weren't bit, just totally. like okay those drinks taking people there. to the rooms i went to learn the whole kind of trade you know mm-hmm. go whatever and it was pretty cool right we got to drive some very fancy austin martins and porsches and ferraris and stuff so that was pretty neat um and uh that's where i probably introduced the cocktails the first time there was an awesome guy called patrick william bossy who was the the main head sommelier there and sometimes he'd come in the bar and help with um preparing cocktails for special guests you know to really um make their stay even more special by giving them a special cocktail and maybe naming it after the guests kind of thing that sort of thing and this really inspired me i thought actually you know what it is all about this is the service industry we're here to serve people give people a great experience introduce them to new things and i thought yeah i could really dig this and i was probably there like a year and a half just through 2000 um obviously i had the millennium bug you know with that and um the owner of that place, Tim Hart, he just opened a new uh, restaurant in Nottingham called Hearts, and it was in the, the old um, General Hospital. I was like, that sounds really cool as well. Actually, I come to the countryside, learned this, but I could learn a whole lot more. And a friend of mine had started working there, so um, just after New Year's, I went and worked there in Nottingham. Were you so still in the restaurant part? Uh, no, no, I, um, in the bar bit then. So then I went to Hearts in the bar just working as a bartender so really it was that gentleman patrick who yeah, inspired me inspired yeah, yeah, to get into cocktails all right forget yeah, the back yeah. i want the front exactly uh-huh. and that's the thing working in the kitchen is all well and good but when i was training i thought you know what walls everywhere no windows someone shouting you in the kitchen <laughs> 17 hours a day and i wasn't shy of working many hours you know we did 17 18 hours a day six days a week at this five-star hotel in rutland but but uh, I kind of like the idea of being outside or being in a room with windows and talking to people, you know, and, bit, and also being creative. And I think that's what drew me towards the bar because it was harder to be as creative as a waiter than it is to be at a bartender making drinks, something physical to be mm-hmm. creative with. Um, so yeah, I went to Nottingham and worked in this place called Hearts. Uh, it's an old general hospital. Were you a proper bartender then? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And uh, one of my colleagues, Dave Hemingway, who had worked at Hamilton, he then went to there at a similar time. But he left about six months later to go and up another restaurant. 
And so I just slid into that position of uh, head bartender or bar manager, I think it was called at the time. And so then that was it. That was I looked after the wines and looked after the cocktail menu. And I think that's really where my creativity blossomed. Uh, did you feel that you had the tools right then to start making new drinks? And I mean, Oh, yeah. You- I, I think because I got brought up in the countryside, mm-hmm. I was very passionate about seasonal things. Uh, and that I didn't want to use things out of season because quite often they're more expensive, but also they're not that great quality. And I always like to use ingredients that are on our doorstep. So rather than bring things over from a far off country and adding to the air miles, it was kind of seemed nicer to use stuff literally on your doorstep. So we kind of focused our menu around that and also what we thought our customers would like. So you give some, some crowd pleasers on there you know like your mojito or cosmopolitan or martini that kind of thing but then you'd put some more unusual obscure cocktails on there uh yeah i guess i must have been there for a couple of years and a friend that had been working with me he decided to go traveling he's like you know what sam i'm gonna go to uh australia i was like what i, don't, I think i'd only ever been to like france and maybe ibiza you know with the family mm-hmm. my, like my life but never been anywhere further i thought you know what actually if i don't do it now i'll probably never do it i was like where do i sign up you know, well before you traveled hold on for a sec yeah um so it's interesting that inherently you knew to use the local produce produce around you yeah when that's something that's so today 17 whatever 15 years later yeah, it's yeah. incredible that you had that instinct to do that yeah and i think i don't know if it i don't know if i would have labeled it as like sustainability back then but i just thought it seemed to be the right thing to uh-huh. do was like look after local uh producers and farmers and use their kind of produce um but also, it was cheaper because it was more local. And, you know, running a bar is a business, right? You want to produce really tasty drinks and not overcharge for them, be creative. So, yeah, if you can buy your ingredients cheaper, you can sell your cocktails cheaper. You know, it all kind of sits and makes sense. Um, yeah, so... Um, and so, but then you heard that, that, that call to travel. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. And uh, so the, the, we planned this trip, uh-huh. and uh, it was to basically fly over to Bangkok, spend a few days there, travel down through Thailand, go to the islands, which was absolutely fascinating. Got introduced to Thai whiskey, which is interesting. Uh, you know, I'm always happy to try new, new types of, of alcohol. And uh, down through Malaysia, Singapore for a few weeks. And then... Um, was this a pure pleasure travel? trip? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like John. just visas. Uh-huh. Ju- yeah, exactly. We just uh-huh. saved... We worked for like months and months and months saving up our money to uh-huh. go because we knew we weren't going to work for a good right. while. And uh, we spent quite a time time getting our visas like for Australia was a year working visa and um, oh, so you wanted to stay when you got there yeah well uh-huh. it's only one year but yeah, uh-huh. yeah it, was, it was totally to stay and uh, we uh, went to Bali because he had a friend there and we stayed in his house and travel around and yeah just got introduced to different cuisines which was fascinating uh, and actually funny enough I do I've got a photo even we've, we've got a photo of us sat outside a little jeet kind of hut thing drinking uh, Bombay Sapphire and Tonics, uh, which is quite funny that, mm-hmm. you know, what should hand up in many, many years later. Um, but actually, I think I've always, always poured Bombay Sapphire in all the bars I've ever worked in. Just, you know, we always, we, we, we just had an, uh, a link with it, really. And um, eventually got to Australia, to Sydney, really loved Sydney, incredible city, very cosmopolitan. Uh, moved after like 10 days over to Melbourne, and I didn't quite have that same link with Melbourne as I did with Sydney. Like, um, Maybe it was the weather. It's always the weather, right? What do they say? Like, Melbourne has all four seasons in one day. I'm sure, you know. Um, uh, it's like they say, England, it rains all the time. 
church actually it kind of does <laughs> uh, but the, we were soon kind of running out of money so we thought right we need to go and get a job now we're out here we, we, we spent all the money that we'd already saved did you saved go back up. to Sydney uh, no, or did you stay in Melbourne no actually we kind of went north of Melbourne uh, we went across to Adelaide and then north of there and we went to like Mildura and picked tomatoes uh, we picked grapes um, and then, uh, which is fascinating, you know, because I came from the country and I worked on friends' farms when I was like 10, 8, 9, 10 uh-huh. years old, I kind of didn't mind that, you know, drum combine harvesters and tractors and stuff. And then we got, we met this chap who was trying to get some stuff to pick cotton. And it, but it's not like the old oh, school boy. way of picking cotton literally by hand. It was driving combine harvesters. So we had to suddenly, and it was really well paid. So we ended up taking this train from... Like Ad, from Mildura down to Adelaide, Adelaide all the way across to Sydney, which is like, I don't know, probably three lots of England across, you know, um, and then up to Brisbane, and then out, and then the guy picked us up, and there was about a seven-hour journey in this ute, and uh, it was, imagine halfway between Alice Springs and um, Brisbane. I mean, we were in the middle of nowhere, um, and we were a contractor working on these combine harvesters, so we'd work on a farm for a week, and um, pick cotton. And it you was, were really hardy. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, we slept in a swag, which is basically, you know, like a sleeping bag. And we'd have barbecues. And we'd yeah, be... I thought you were going to tell me, oh, and then I worked in a bar here and I yeah. worked in a bar there. Well, that's that. coming, that's coming, that's oh, coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've had enough of picking cotton. Exactly. Yeah, I think I, I really enjoyed it. It was probably one of the best times of my life uh, uh-huh. out there because the people and the weather and just the hard work and you feel like you're really achieving something. Like, I'm, I'm a serious grafter. I don't mind putting in serious hours. And then uh, we did that like for a couple of months, end up in a place called Dubbo, which is a bit north of Sydney, and then uh, went, had to drive all the equipment back up to Brisbane where it was parked. And from Brisbane, we went across to like Surface Paradise and enjoyed the East Coast basically. <laughs> so how long was this whole thing? Uh, so that would have been the first kind of like three, four months of okay. our time in Australia. Uh-huh. Traveled up the East Coast with all the money that we just earned. And um, did all the usual backpack. I mean, totally usual backpacker stuff, right? All the stops. And uh, and funnily enough, we got to a place. Um, well, went through Surfers, uh, Airlie Beach. Um, got to a place called Magnetic Island. And I um, met this girl. <laughs> and uh, what you say this has been recorded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, she's now my wife. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. That's good. I, didn't know I didn't know I was going to go there. So, yeah. um, we were drawn together, right? Like a See? magnet. I know everyone thinks it's that. That story is like a bit you sickening. drinking Bombay everywhere. Yeah. We'll get to that. Uh-huh. Exactly, exactly. Um, no, we, we met in this place and we travelled up to Cairns together with my friend. And then we wanted to get a job in Cairns and uh, it just didn't um, quite work out. It's not quite as an affluent city back then as maybe Sydney. So we kind of took like a 48 hour bus ride from um, Cairns all the way down to Sydney uh, and Angela this, this girl I just met um, she went back home she was English and she went back home because she'd been travelling a couple of years and she was missing her family but she was due to come back to Australia to finish off her four year visa and uh, so we came to Sydney with barely any money mm-hmm. we literally we, we spent our last like $220 on this on this bus ride managed to get into a hostel and within a week uh, we'd found a job uh, at the Sydney Radson Plaza Hotel on like Pitt Street and O'Connor Street and uh, I managed to get a job as a bartender and, and as a, like a VIP host in their like VIP bar on the fifth floor so basically hosting people cocktail canapé parties my friend Ross uh, he was an awesome guy um, he was the waiter and uh, worked in the bar as well um, downstairs 
made a whale time. They were, we were there for six months, just really enjoying the Australian lifestyle. Was it hard to come back? Yeah, well, we had to because of the visa, right? Yeah. But um, That doesn't make it easy. No, 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 exactly, <laughs> exactly. And after the year, like, uh, when we knew we had to leave, Russ went home. And uh, I thought, actually, I've earned all this money, but I've not seen the whole of Australia. Um, and I've been inspired so much by the cocktail culture over there because they were starting to get into, like, molecular mixology, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um, they still like their fun drinks, like the Fruit Tingle. I don't know if you've ever heard of one of those. Fruit Tingle, hilarious cocktail. Um, but um, at the end of it, it's quite a sweet kind of fruity cocktail, but cocktails should be fun, right? And if that's what the guest wants, then cool. You can always inspire them to drink other things. But um, I end up extending my visa for like three months, flying to, to um, Perth, traveling all the way up the West Coast and across, and then down from the top through Alice Springs and round and for the Melbourne Grand Prix, met back up with my wife uh, or girlfriend at the time and um, and then back to Sydney eventually so yeah I travelled another three months and then it was like literally my visa's over she had another couple of years I gotta go back and we can't even remember now but we went to the travel agents um, to buy me a ticket to go home and kind of say our farewells and we walked out of that shop with two tickets it was meant to be (laughs) yeah yeah, so where were those two tickets back to? Uh, so they were back to England they are back to England Um, she had a house in England, and, and uh-huh. uh, but we wanted to do a bit of travelling together. Uh, we'd not even, you know, we'd only spent a few uh, months uh, living together, really. And uh, we went back through Thailand and you know Malaysia and all those kind of countries, which was pretty fun. Uh, did you know did. that you were going to come back to London? Well, yeah. When I was travelling, I kind of enjoyed the Sydney life so much, and obviously Sydney is a lot bigger than Nottingham. Mm-hmm. I mean, Nottingham is awesome city. I always used to tell people it's it's like London, but it's got everything London has, but just slightly smaller. Mm-hmm. It's, it's actually a little bit better. London's a little bit better. Um, but, uh, yeah, and I and, and, um, love Sydney. And I thought, actually, I really want to do the London thing. And I'd heard that, uh, so, uh, Mr. Hart, who, remember, I was yeah, yeah, working yeah. at Hamilton Hall and, and Hart's, his sons had just opened a restaurant in uh, London uh, called Fino on Charlotte Street. And uh, I thought, you know, that should be my first port call. So I went in there. They'd been open, like, two weeks and knocked on the door, and uh, Eddie Hart uh, opened the door, and he's, he's a very extravagant, awesome, awesome character, and he welcomed me in, because we'd worked at Hamilton before together, and Hart's, and uh, he was like, um, well, I was like, hey, have you got a job? You know, I'll do anything. I'll mop the floors, I'll, I'll be mm-hmm. a waiter, I'll be a bartender, you know, I just need a job, I've just been travelling, I have no money, I need something, and I want to wanna live in London. And he was like, You've been, you have literally been sent from heaven, uh, because he'd already gone through two bar managers in two weeks, it would just it'd been really hard to find the right person. So um, they, they, I mean, I, I owe them a huge amount. They employed me, and they actually employed Angela. Uh, to she worked on reception, and I worked on the bar. And we kind of cleared up the bar. We we kind of um, got a whole new team in. Like we were about five or eight eight people, well, five at the start. New team of bartenders. We had two two bars, one upstairs and one down on the eating bar, where you could actually eat your. Ta- it was a Spanish tapas bar, mm-hmm. but real premium. Um, Spanish tapas uh, where we did lots of sherries by the glass like 30 odd sherries by the glass wine by the glass awesome tapas food and then uh, Sam Hart uh, he bought me the El Bulli book it's about like 600 pages all in Spanish back then because it was like a first edition uh, and I was kind of looking for it and inspired by all these pictures in the book I was like this is incredible like food pictures it was like food porn uh, and then cocktail pictures as well and you've got these pictures in real fancy glasses but with like foams and caviars and all sorts of things do you remember what year this was? this would have been 2003 right. I think 2003 
Um, so that kind of really inspired me. And my, my Angela, my wife, who I'm then married for future Liz, yeah, she, um, she got her a Spanish to English dictionary and kind of went through all the recipes one by one and, and writing them out for me, you know, translating them. And basically I just went and bought the equipment and replicated the drinks. Exactly, you know, just to see how what the methods were like, you know, making these nitrous oxide foams and caviar. Because that's a lot of equipment pop. to make some of those things. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> and expensive as well. And um, the guy supported me, and we did hot cold drinks, and we did. So you brought injected. them right into the restaurant. Yeah, yeah, and so we we created this brand new kind of cocktail menu with all these kind of I like to call it kind of Heston Blumenthal style drinks, that mm-hmm. sort of molecular mixology uh, or multi-sensory experience to people. People drinking mutt. We did a martini trolley. Uh, very much like they do at the Connaught um, with Ago, uh, where we had like 20 gins and 20 vodkas all kept in the freezer at like minus 18, 20 degrees C. We used via vermouth from California. We had this trolley, we'd take a glass out of the freezer, uh, put it on the guest table, and then just spritz, spritz the vermouth in the air mm-hmm. and waft the glass through the, the vermouth. And, then, and how did the, so that was a the really clients martini, right? the react to it? Did they I love it? I think they loved it because it was a brand new rest, uh, restaurant. And from day one, it was busy as anything. Every lunch, every dinner packed out. It was There was a big kind of uh, And you thought there's something the to this. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And people really liked Because of where it was in Fitzrovia, people go out for lunch a lot and you know, work lunches. And they want a little bit of an experience. So, yeah, to have someone come over... It was all dressed to the nines, and you know, I was in Oswald boating suits and stuff like bling, orange lining, uh-huh. seriously cool suits. And uh, you come over and, and spritz this and pour in the gin, and, uh, and I suppose that's where that passion for gin really came through as well. Mm-hmm. And um, people have their martinis, right? And then because have so their many Spanish cocktails. drink gin, I mean, it's exactly. the number one market, yeah, 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 right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there's that, and then obviously, El Bully being uh, Spanish in a restaurant, and so we did the foams, and we, we would have eight eight or nine foams on the menu at any one time from like a, a nitrous oxide cigar foam or we do like a I remember we did like a Bombay Sapphire kind of mojito so like Bombay lime sugar mint shaken in a martini glass but then we do like a nitrous oxide mango foam a spuma we used to call them a spumas uh, by then um, yeah it was just kind of fun and um, you know training and inspiring other people to make the cocktails alongside me was really cool as well I love talking to people and training people uh, being neat and tidy in their work ethic as well and serving people and that's what it's about right the service industry so I had a whale of a time you know basically is that we're on when the cusp Bombay of... Sapphire came calling no 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 we've got a few more years yet uh, I'm afraid um, <laughs> don't be afraid no it's great <laughs> yeah we uh, I loved um, love Soho love that whole area mm-hmm. and I think I probably spent a lot of time working and maybe didn't go out as much as I probably should have done and really worked crazy hard and my wife, Angela, was like working nine to five, Monday to Friday, and I was doing the evenings and the weekends. So we didn't see other as much. Uh, and um, we thought, actually, you know, we need to get out of this rat race after a few years, maybe it was three, four years. Um, so my family were up in Nottingham by then, so we moved back to Nottingham, moved up to Nottingham. And, so you uh, left the rat race? Yeah, I left rat race, and I thought, you know what? I'm done with catering. I'm going to no go way. into... Because uh, I watch those programs on TV, like with Sarah Beanie, you know, the house renovation programs? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and there's basically like, um, you know, hey, buy a house, and then spend a bit of money and doing flip it. And flip it, exactly. Yeah. And you'll make a ton of money. Um, yeah, it didn't work out. Uh, so we bought a house. <laughs> uh, we lived in it for a little while to try and figure out how we're going to do it, and then we did the work, and... Uh, 
uh, we enjoyed the house for about four years and um, so you didn't flip the flip no, flip here no, no exactly we, we have, the one we <laughs> were meant to flip we just lived in it because right. we kind of fell in love with it and loved it and loved how the long lifestyle. did it take you to realize wait a second I want to be behind that bar again well uh, six months right. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, we, we got up there and it was like Christmas time and uh, the chap Dave Hemingway who had originally worked with at Hearts he was then running this place called World Service and um, he he was like, oh, I'm a bit short stuff for Christmas time. Do you reckon you come in and do a few shifts with us? I was like, yeah, sure. You know, I need a bit of money coming in. Yeah, uh-huh. that'd be really cool. So I did that through Christmas. And then January, he goes and gets another job. <laughs> and they're left without a bar manager. And so oh. they... Uh, so like, you yeah. were sucked in. It was like the I was sucked yeah. straight back yeah, in. Like, so then I became the bar out, manager. You can't ever. But I kind of and uh, worked with Dan Lindsay, who was the, uh, the owner of the place, to kind of agree um, some kind of pretty good terms on the hours that I worked, the shifts kind of that I worked. So I'd do um, like three, four days a week and have like, yeah... Um, three three days off a week, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. Time to spend with Angela. Um, so I worked there for four years. Oh boy! And I brought. Did you all... ever hear the calling of London? Come back, come back. <laughs> uh, a little bit because uh-huh. um, I go down there for like cocktail competitions, like Bacardi Legacy competition, where friends were doing, or or like Diageo's World Class. So your show was things. still in the whole yeah, exactly. world of. And and I brought know. back all that kind of molecular stuff. We did really cool, interesting drinks on the bar then. And London uh, and Nottingham just lapped it up. They loved it at World Service. They loved all these cool drinks. And I very I threw myself into the wine list. Ended up like uh, earning ourselves um, best uh, wine list of the uh, in the country uh, for the size of the restaurant we were in the like the AA uh-huh. kind of thing, which was really cool. And um, uh, I can't. I, I went to support a friend, uh, Sam Dean, at the very first Bacardi Legacy competition uh, down in London. So I went down there, you know, carry his bag, bag in for him, you know, watch him, support him. And I remember uh, walking into this venue and I saw Alex Turner and Alex Cameling. And Alex, who worked for Bacardi and the advocacy side of things, uh, and actually saw him earlier today. But... Um, he said, Sam, I've been dying to speak to you because I've known him, Alex, for, for many, many years. And, you know, he, he loved, I think, everything I was doing with molecular mixology the, when I was in Fino before. I said, I've got a job for you, but uh, I've got to dash off uh, for an hour. I've got a meeting, but uh, I'll come back and, uh, you know, we'll chat. I was like, what? So I went and got a drink, talked to the other competitors and, and uh, you know, just uh, kind of fell into it. And Alex came back and said, hey, you know what? I'd really like you to be the ambassador for Bombay Sapphire. And I was, I was kind of, in my head, I was like... And you like, were just there supporting your friend, right? Yeah, 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 at this Bugatti event. Oh, right. And in my head, I was like, uh, what is an ambassador? <laughs> because it wasn't really a, that common thing. This was like, two, I suppose it's late 2008, something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, so I got home you know, the next day, Googled, Googled it. it. Yeah, what, what's an ambassador? Okay, like, you're the face of a brand. And, and so... so um, you know, we did an interview with with the people at, at Bombay, um, Helen Francis and Alex, and uh, had to you know, pitch up and, and demonstrate drinks and talk about something I was passionate with, and um, absolutely, you know, really loved it. And they loved me uh, after. I think they'd interviewed a few few other people, but um, I'm, I had to move back down to London. So it was like a yo-yo, right? Nottingham, London, Nottingham, London, and um, but you knew yeah, this was a chance that you couldn't exactly. Refuse, right? And I think it was because I'd just got married six months earlier to uh-huh. Angela in Nottingham. And she was 95 hours nights. And we thought, well, do I want to be doing these nights and weekends when I'm like 50, 60 years old? You know, I need to get myself into more of a normal kind of job and something a bit more, a bit, a bit different, you know, and see another part of the industry. So I, uh, yeah, we actually lived apart for six months. 
which is weird, you know, get married and live apart for six months. So I lived in her house that she had in London, and she lived up in our house in Nottingham. And um, so you weren't in Laverstoke yet. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. That was like yeah, a few, like three or four years before that. Mm-hmm. And. Um, Really enjoy being the ambassador for Bombay Sapphire, doing pop-up bars, working with team, consumer events, hosting people in our botanical locations um, in like Morocco and Italy and Spain, helping to host our um, global competition, which is our world's most imaginative bartender competition with Raj Nagra, who's our global ambassador. Um, just having a whale of a time, right? You know, talking about gin and consuming a little bit of gin uh, and um, yeah, just inspiring people, the, the whys and the wares and the mixability of it uh, as a product. And it was great that you had already used it yeah, exactly. Through from my whole yeah. career, right? And um, we did the very first project I had, and that's what I moved down for, was um, a pop-up bar at Somerset House. I don't know if you've ever been, but um, it's where they do like the, the film for uh, screenings in the summer, and then they do ice skating in, in right. the winter. And we did this, we worked with Tom Dixon, who's a very iconic, famous kind of British ar- um, art- architect. And we did a pop-up bar right yeah, there. Yeah, a furniture designer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. On, right on the, on the veranda of the uh, Somerset House. And we had that for five months. We probably hosted about 25,000 people in five oh months, which was pretty insane. Did you have to Cocktail. make any drinks specifically yes. for it? Oh, yeah, yeah. We did uh-huh. the whole menu. Did the whole mm. menu. And actually, all the drinks were paired around all the botanicals in Bombay and the countries that they come from. So it was yeah, very much pairing. We paired that with food. And um, yeah, every, every day, every night, we'd be um, welcoming guests to, to the venue, which is really cool. And it, as, a, as, a, as a pop-up, you know, these things don't last forever. So it, it finished in, in like the October time. And I was kind of thinking, oh, is this just going to be a short-term job? Is it going to continue? And, and fortunately, um, Bacardi and Bombay people love me. And um, they, they took me under their wing. And uh, I went and worked with a guy called Will Bricks at uh, Venopolis, which is where we had the Bombay Sapphire Blue Rooms at Venopolis, which is a pretty cool space. Um, and South Bank. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we'd had that place for about 10 years and hosted about 100,000 people a year. Consumers round the tour there, you know, to learn about wine and whiskey and champagne. And at the end of the tour, you get to learn about gin. And um, it was a pretty cool space. But uh, little did I know in, in, the, in the back uh, realms of, of the organization, the company, they were thinking we would eventually like to have a place where we make our gin and also we talk about it in the same place. Like bring the two together. Because back then, this was like 20... 12, um, we uh, were made in the north of England in Warrington and we were talking about it in London you know mm. so the two weren't together and uh, a guy so there was no place anyone could go and visit really apart it was, from Venopolis, you had, Venopolis, like, you had right. that and we hosted the trade there and we hosted consumers there but you know we had a, a model of the still we had the botanicals but a model and it just didn't seem uh, perfectly genuine and we wanted to bring the two together and there's this awesome guy called John Burke, who's now our CMO, and um, he lives in a, a, a place called uh, Overton, out in Hampshire, and he had the vision to buy Lavastoke Mill, which is an old paper mill, and basically turn it into um, a very sustainable uh, gin distillery, where every single drop of Bombay Sapphire is made for the entire world in an incredibly st- sustainable way. So much so we are the most environmentally friendly distillery in the world. So Bacardi bought the site, Spent a few years getting plan permission, worked with Thomas Heatherwick, Heatherwick Studios, to put the glass houses in because we kind of thought sometimes not everybody knows what goes into gin. 
they don't always realise that um, certainly in, in the case of a London dry gin it's all natural uh, ingredients um, so let's grow these botanicals in the glass house to demonstrate how they grow in their natural environment so we worked Thomas did the two glass houses that you've seen uh, and then we opened. it is an incredible place to visit thank you it is. <laughs> it's it's a big labor of love from you know the whole company is uh-huh. you know there's probably like a thousand builders local builders that we used to, to, to create that space and um, um we took two and a half years to renovate we opened on the 1st of October 2014, which seems a time ago now. Well, what was your role in it? Uh, so my role, so mm-hmm. I moved out of London then to move to Hampshire with the family uh, and changed my job role slightly to be the senior brand ambassador um, to basically help set up the place from scratch. So really from just two of us, Will, Bricks and myself, uh, to help set up all the systems in place and, and design the place and get all, all the fit out done um, to then open it. And now we're 55 people, and we've been open three years as of last night, because uh, we had our um, third birthday party last night. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you very much, which was a, a great, great affair. Uh, mm-hmm. And now, yeah, we're 55 people now, and we host yeah, a lot of people there. We've hosted, what, 65,000 people in the first year, 84,000 people last year, and nearly 100,000 people we're aiming for this year. That's fantastic. Which, not that it's about numbers, but uh, you know, considering we're 60 miles west of London, it's mm-hmm. phenomenal that so many people want to come out and, and actually learn about gin and botanicals and design. But I think it, it shows you how uh, strong that passion for gin is right now. That you know, There's so many new gin brands coming on the market, right? Um, so it's quite a competitive place, and you've just got to go above and beyond to try and give the uh, consumer and also the trade a really excellent experience. I assume that you created drinks for, yes, for yeah. the for the bar there. Absolutely, yeah. So we change the menu every six months. Oh boy! Yeah, uh, we try and again try and use local ingredients as well we possibly can and inspire consumers to be able to replicate that drink at home. Uh, and I think the, the drink I'm probably most proud of is a drink called the Lavastoke. So obviously, after the name Lavastoke Mill, uh, it's called Lavastoke, and it's got um, two lime wedges squeezed into a big balloon glass. A little bit of elderflower cordial, or you could use Saint-Germain, elderflower liqueur, of course. Martini Bianco, if it's spring. Uh, Rosato in the summer, extra dry in the autumn, and Rosso in the winter. So you can actually twist it out with the seasons it's every three months, which is quite mm. nice. Yeah. Um, either a single or a double measure of the gin. Stir, swirl it around, add loads of ice, and top it with something like uh, you know, a premium ginger ale, like Fever Trees ginger ale. Works really, really well. And then a, a spanked mint sprig and a ginger slice. Well, know, that'll, have, that that'll have to be our cocktail of the week, definitely. Oh, totally, totally. Uh-huh. It's my favourite, and I think you kind of really enjoyed I it. I did, when, uh, I have yeah. to say, I did. I have tried it before. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very agreeable drink. I think because um, Bombay's kind of got five main flavours to it. It's got pine, citrus, root, floral, and spice. And the ingredients we put in there emphasise all those five ingredients. Um, but they're, they're not too obscure ingredients, right? Anybody could walk into a bar and be able to order that drink because most bars stock all those ingredients plus a consumer could go into a, uh, a, a, a supermarket and buy them and make it at home and that's kind of the idea right mm-hmm. of, of a distillery that opens its doors to the general public is to be to inspire people to make these drinks at home and have fun with it that's probably one of the most key things but will you make one for me now 100% I would love to be alright well to. thank you so much for sitting down with me my absolute pleasure alright can we to try it Thanks to Sam for taking the time to sit down with me and also to show me around the Bombay Sapphire Distillery. Details of that tour will be in an upcoming Lush Guide. As you heard, the Laver Stoke is our cocktail of the week. It's easy to make once you have all the ingredients. Squeeze two freshly cut lime wedges into a clean glass and then drop them in. 
Measure and pour into the glass over the lime 10 ml of bottle green elderflower cordial, then 15 ml of Martini and Rosé Bianco Vermouth, and then the 50 ml of Bombay Sapphire Gin. Swirl well to mix. Fill the glass completely full of good quality cubed ice and briefly stir with a bar spoon to chill. Finally, pour 100 ml of Fever Tree ginger ale down a twisted bar spoon into the spoon end over the ice and gently stir in the cocktail at the same time. Garnish with a slither of freshly mandolin ginger and a large, gently slapped mint sprig all grouped together on one side of the glass. Enjoy the aroma and you don't need any straw. This and all the recipes you hear on the podcast can be found at alushlifemanual.com where you'll also find all the ingredients in our shop. On the next episode, our guest tells us how he made it to London from Italy 40 years ago and stayed in one place the whole time. We meet with Gino Nardella, the Stafford Hotel's master sommelier. Until next time, bottoms up. Thanks for listening to the Lush Life Podcast, the sister of a Lush Life Manual. For more information and links to everything you heard, plus a bit more, please visit alushlifemanual.com. Always remember the wise words of Oscar Wilde, all things in moderation, including moderation. And always drink responsibly. Okay, I said that last part. Theme music is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. Lush Life is produced by Evo Terra. And I'm your hostess, Susan Schwartz. I'll see you at the bar.